It cannot be proved that thought has been evolved out of matter. And if a philosophical monism is inevitable, spiritual monism is certainly logical and no less desirable than a materialistic monism. But neither of these is necessary here. We cannot deny that bodies acquire certain tendencies from heredity. But those tendencies only mean the physical configuration through which a peculiar mind alone can act in a peculiar way. There are other tendencies peculiar to a soul caused by his past actions. And a soul with a certain tendency would, by the laws of affinity, take birth in a body which is the fittest instrument for the display of that tendency. This is in accord with science, for science wants to explain everything by habit, and habit is got through repetitions. So, repetitions are necessary to explain the natural habits of a newborn soul, and since they were not obtained in this present life, they must have come down from past lives. There is another suggestion. Taking all these for granted, how is it that I do not remember anything of my past life? This can be easily explained. I am now speaking in English. It is not my mother tongue. In fact, no words of my mother tongue are now present in my consciousness. But let me try to bring them up. And they rush in. That shows that consciousness is only the surface of the mental ocean and within its depths are stored up all our experiences. Try and struggle. They would come up and you would be conscious even of your past life. This is direct and demonstrative evidence. Verification is the perfect proof of a theory and here is the challenge thrown to the world by the Rishis. We have discovered the secret by which the very depths of the ocean of memory can be stirred up. Try it and you would get a complete reminiscence of your past life. So then, the Hindu believes that he is a spirit. Him the sword cannot pierce, him the fire cannot burn, him the water cannot melt, him the air cannot dry. Is nowhere but whose center is located in the body and that death means the change of this center from body to body. Nor is the soul bound by the conditions of matter. In its very essence it is free, unbounded, holy, pure and perfect. But somehow or other it finds itself tied down to matter and thinks of itself as matter. Why should the free, perfect and pure being be thus under the thraldom of matter is the next question. How can the perfect soul be deluded into the belief that it is imperfect? We have been told that the Hindus shirk the question and say that no such question can be there. Some thinkers want to answer it by positing one or more quasi-perfect beings and use big scientific names to fill up the gap. But naming is not explaining. The question remains the same. How can the perfect become the quasi-perfect? How can the pure, the absolute, change even a microscopic particle of its nature? But the Hindu is sincere. He does not want to take shelter under sophistry. He is brave enough to face the question in a manly fashion and his answer is, I do not know. I do not know how the perfect being, the soul, came to think of itself as imperfect, as joined to and conditioned by matter. 
But the fact is a fact for all that. It is a fact in everybody's consciousness that one thinks of oneself as the body. The Hindu does not attempt to explain why one thinks one is the body. The answer that it is the will of God is no explanation. This is nothing more than what the Hindu says. I do not know. Well then, the human soul is eternal and immortal, perfect and infinite. And death means only a change of center from one body to another. The present is determined by our past actions and the future by the present. The soul will go on evolving up or reverting back from birth to birth and death to death. But here is another question. Is man a tiny boat in a tempest, raised one moment on the foamy crest of a billow and dashed down into a yawning chasm the next? rolling to and fro at the mercy of good and bad actions, a powerless, helpless wreck in an ever-raging, ever-rushing, uncompromising current of cause and effect, a little moth placed under the wheel of causation, which rolls on, crushing everything in its way, and waits not for the widow's tears or the orphan's cry. The heart sinks at the idea. Yet, this is the law of nature. Is there no hope? Is there no escape? Was the cry that went up from the bottom of the heart of despair. It reached the throne of mercy. And words of hope and consolation came down and inspired a Vedic sage. And he stood up before the world and in trumpet voice proclaimed the glad tidings. Hear ye, children of immortal bliss, even ye that reside in higher spheres. I have found the ancient one who is beyond all darkness all delusion. Knowing him alone, you shall be saved from death over again. Children of immortal bliss, what a sweet, what a hopeful name. Allow me to call you, brethren, by that sweet name, heirs of immortal bliss. Yea, the Hindu refuses to call you sinners. We are the children of God, the sharers of immortal bliss, holy and perfect beings. Ye divinities on earth, sinners, it is a sin to call a man so. It is standing libel on human nature. Come up, O lions, and shake off the delusion that you are sheep. You are souls immortal, spirits free, blessed and eternal. Ye are not matter, ye are not bodies. Matter is your servant, not you the servant of matter. <laughs>